Welcome to the Kenosha City Church Podcast. Each one of us has good work to do. This message teaches through Nehemiah chapters 6 and 7, where you will learn how to stay on course with the gospel. Enjoy the message. I don't know if you've been watching TV recently, but something that has just been, just uh, gotten the attention of the entire nation are the fires uh, uh, in Lahaina, Maui, Hawaii. Have you seen that? The fires that literally burnt down uh, an entire city. It's been devastating. It's been gut-wrenching, especially uh, if you've been there. Uh, my wife and I, uh, we've, we've traveled there a, a couple of times. Uh, in fact, we can relate sort of uh, to there being a fire there. There's, there's fires often. No one ever thought it would actually take out the whole city. Uh, we were there on our honeymoon in 2007. And while we were there on our honeymoon, uh, there was a fire. Uh, the fire erupted. In fact, I think we might have a few pictures up here. Uh, there's the fire erupted on the long side of the road. And like a Wisconsin, southern Wisconsin person, uh, you don't really think of wildfires. You just keep on driving. And I, shouldn't, I should have turned around, but I kept driving to Lahaina. And by the time we got to Lahaina, they closed the only road in to Lahaina. So now we were looking at a sign saying road closed due to fire. And we were stranded in town in Lahaina and I realized what do we do so we lined up on the road and we just looked at the sign that said road closed we were hoping that the fire would get contained so we can get back it was important that we got back that afternoon because we were scheduled to leave the island that day so I'm like what are we going to do and so as everybody was focusing on the road closed sign I opened up uh, our road atlas if you remember those I, I opened up a road atlas and I noticed there was this small road that went up into the mountains and so then I looked at some of my rental agreements and it said do not take this one lane road through the mountains apparently it was a a road meant for four-wheel drive vehicles ATV things like that well I realized okay I can sit here the fire could get worse and I could we can miss our way off the island or we can try our luck on this one lane road in the mountain so my focus went from the road closed sign to the forbidden road. And I looked at Allison as newlyweds, only a few days married, like, oh yeah, we're doing it, all right? And so we went towards this one lane road. There was nobody in front of us, which made me realize either we are at the start of something really brilliant or we are gonna do something really dumb, all right? And so as we were driving this one-lane road, it was hairpinning. There was, there, there, there was no guardrails. In fact, you can't really see it from this picture here. Uh, but if you were to drive off the road, you drive off a cliff into the Pacific Ocean. It was a white-knuckle, scariest, even to this day, uh, drive I have ever done. All right? And so as we're driving, I noticed as we turned one of the hairpins, I think it's the next picture here, you notice there were about 30 cars behind us. So whether for the better or the worse, we started a trend. As we went up this road, this one-lane road, uh, other people were like, hey, let's go do what that guy's doing. And it was scary. There were moments where cars were coming at us head-on, and literally I had to move our, our car under the side of the mountain. We were literally like this, and I think we were driving a PT Cruiser, if you remember those. And we were like, literally like, I don't know what we're doing, but I don't want to go down the cliff, right? Well, after a couple of hours of that, we made it to the other side of the island. And I couldn't help but think of this last week. It's like, I hope people took that road because that would have been a road out of, of that mess uh, that you saw uh, in the news. Uh, but when we arrived back on the other side of the mountain, Allison turns to me with a smile and goes, well, that was fun. And we're never going to do that again, all right? It's like, all right, all right, we'll never do that again. We'll never do that again. I, 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 I promise. And there's been quite a other travel stories since then, hasn't there been? So only if you knew. Okay, so, but, uh, you know, the thing is this. 
Oh, yeah, we have, we've broke down all sorts of all over the United States anyway. Lord, we're just preparing us. But here's the deal. Our focus went from a closed road saying we couldn't go anywhere to the forbidden road. And in that moment, our focus literally determined two different, very different outcomes. And I can't help but think, especially as I'm looking at the horrific uh, pictures of, of Lahaina this week, of people thinking of all the different outcomes. Your focus really matters. What you focus on and, and what you focus will determine the direction and destination of what you go through in life. And I want you to know that this morning you are focusing on something. You're focusing on something, and that very focus is a gravitational pull to the direction and destination you will arrive at. For many, your attention has been caught by something that is just eating your mind alive. Maybe, maybe you're a people pleaser. You approach people in, uh, in ways that hopefully they will like you. Uh, others, you just, you, you feel unhappy in life, you feel bored in life, so you're looking for that next new thing to feel content. Uh, you buy that new thing, you find new people to be friends with, you buy that new house, you even travel and buy and, and, and land in a new city. Because you just want that new feeling, you just want to feel content, you can't find it. Uh, for others, there are circumstances happening in life. And these circumstances this morning, you may find yourself in a situation that is so big, Maybe it's so heartbreaking. Maybe it, it's so confusing. That has become your direction. It is taking your eyes off the one who's in charge, the one who's all-powerful, the one who knows your future, who knows the number of your days. That's the Lord God Almighty. Your focus is no longer on him because your focus is on something else. What is that gravitational pull? What is it that pulls you away from what your focus should be? And that's on the Lord God Almighty. What has your focus will determine the direction of your decisions. Focus determines direction. Remember that. So we're going to see this in our continued study in Nehemiah. And if this is your first week here, uh, you've jumped into a really good place this morning. Uh, we've been in the book of Nehemiah. Uh, the book of Nehemiah shows that he is doing a mighty good work for God. Uh, Nehemiah had been tasked with a giant task, and that is to bring the people of God who have been exiled back home and finish the work of the city gates and the walls, the protection of the city. Israel had been in exile because of their disobedience. God's intention with Israel was to be their true king, uh, and Israel be uh, his people, and they were to uh, spread the worship of the one true God throughout the entire world. But what ended up happening was this. Instead of influencing the world, the world influenced them. May that be a warning to even us in culture today. We are to be influencers for the Lord. But how often, how easy is us to be influenced by the culture around us? And that's what happened to Israel. They fell into pagan idolatry and God sent them into exile. And so in Nehemiah, where you pick up in the book of Nehemiah, it speaks of a, a time where God is allowing his people to go back. It's actually a third wave of people to go back. The temple had been rebuilt, and the walls were beginning to be rebuilt, but the work had stopped because of opposition. In fact, what you'll see, and what we're going to see today is, when you do the work of God, you can guarantee that the enemy of God, we know that's Satan, uh, will manifest himself in various ways so that you take your focus off God and that the work of God is stopped in your life. And so, Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 7, I'll read it to you. Nehemiah understood just the, the dire need that Israel was in. 
and how he was being called by God to lead people back to finish the work. So Nehemiah said to them, you see the trouble we're in, Jerusalem lies in ruins and the gates have been burned. Come, let's rebuild the Jerusalem's wall so that we will no longer be a disgrace. And I told them how the gracious hand of God had been upon me and what the king had said to me. Nehemiah was, was raising up a people to do God's work, to finish God's work in Israel. And it's really important that Jerusalem is rebuilt because Jerusalem, there are prophecies that a Messiah would come out of Jerusalem and die for the sins of the world. So we might be talking about walls and gates, but every small part of God's plan has a big picture. So when the enemies of God heard this, they didn't like it. Nehemiah 2, 19 through 20 were introduced to some of the adversaries. When Sandabalt, the Hornite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite official, and Geshem, the Arab, heard about this, they mocked and despised us and said, what is this thing you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? I gave them this reply. The God of heavens is the one who will grant us success. We, his servants, will start building, but you have no share or right or historic claim in Jerusalem. These people were jealous of, of, of Israel. They were, they were long-term adversaries of Israel, and they did not want to see God and God's people succeed. So they opposed them. Last week, Brandon talked about when opposition comes, that we're not to back down. And Sam Ballot and Geshem threatened Nehemiah. Uh, the, the people of God and Nehemiah, they didn't listen. In fact, they stayed focused on God. In Nehemiah 4.21, uh, Brandon read this last week. So we continued the work while half our men holding spears for daylight until the stars came out. They were literally laying bricks with a weapon in the other hand. They're like, there is nothing that's gonna stop us to do the work that God told us to do. Oh, church, can we please take this page from history and apply it to our lives? You see, God has made his, us his people. When you place your faith and trust in him alone, you're considered a son and daughter of the king. God uh, gives you his initiative. He's given us his last uh, and lasting mission. That is to reach lost people, to grow in Jesus Christ, and to enjoy him forever. And I'm going to tell you, the enemy wants to stop at nothing to stop you from enjoying God and letting other people know about God. The faithful work continued. Nothing was going to stop Nehemiah. Each one of us has been made for God's good work to be used in and through you. No, we are not saved by good works. You are saved by the grace of Jesus Christ when you place your faith and trust in him alone to do good works as a result. Your focus will determine your direction. Are you focused on the things of God this morning? Is there something else that has your focus? As followers of Christ, we must keep our focus on the Lord, his work that's to be done. But if you focus... Uh, on the Lord, no, there will be opposition. Jesus said this himself. He said, if they treat me, Jesus speaking, if they treat me this way, how much more are they gonna treat you that way? There will be opposition. But despite the opposition, we must stay the course. That is the title of today's message. Stay the course. So this morning, we will look at two positive things that focus produces. When we focus on the Lord to positive, things will happen. Number one, we will avoid the enemy's agenda for our life. And secondly, we will see God's faithfulness move in and through you. How exciting is that? We can avoid the enemy and we can see God move through us. Sign me up, right? So let's focus on that first one. Godly focus avoids the opposition's agenda. Godly focus avoids 
the opposition's agenda. Nehemiah chapter 6, that's where we're going to be at now. invite you to turn your Bibles there in your app uh, or your physical Bible. If you haven't downloaded the Kenosha City Church app, it's a great resource. Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 1. When Samballot, Tobiah, and Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies, it's growing, the enemies are growing, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that no gap was left in it, Though at the time I had not installed the doors in the city gates, so the wall's been completed, the doors have not, so it's still not secure. Sambala and Geshem sent me a message. Come, let's meet together in the villages of the Ono Valley. They are planning to harm me. When we are doing the work of the Lord, again, it's not if you will be opposed, it's when you will be opposed by the enemy's tactics. Satan has a very different plan for the world. Uh, his plan was to take the place of worship. Uh, he failed. Uh, he is not God. He's not to be worshiped. Uh, when Jesus Christ died on the cross and paid for our sins, when he said it is finished, when he rose from the dead, he defeated sin, death, and oh yes, Satan's fate was sealed. And yet, Satan still doesn't stop. If he's a defeated enemy, if he's going down, he's going down hard and he wants you to go down with him. Satan's a defeated foe. There's no truth in him. He's an accuser. He is a liar. And if you're on God's agenda, Satan will show up to crash your party, all right? And his tactics to crash the party are temptations. He'll use people. He'll use circumstances. He used a number of things to crash it. But what we see here in Nehemiah chapter 6 is a tactic that he uses to crash the party is distraction. The opposition distracts. They want to distract you from the focus that you're to have on Almighty God. Again, Nehemiah 6.1. When Samballat, Tobiah, and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that no gap was left in it, though at the time I had not installed the doors in the city gates, Samballat and Geshem sent me a message. Come, let's meet together in the villages of the Ono Valley. But they were planning to harm me. Verse 3, so I sent a message to them saying, I'm doing an important work and cannot come down. What they're saying is, hey, we're still here, but hey, let's figure this out. I'm not coming down. Why? Because I am doing an important work. Should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? One of the easiest ways for the people of God to get off focus is distraction. It's distraction. We get off course and astray the course. We get distracted by so many different things. Some of them can be destructive. Some of them can be bad. Some of them can be things that in them themselves aren't wrong at all. They're, they're maybe good things. They're just not the greatest thing. Uh, let's take the digital distraction, for instance, all right? Most of us have some of these. Some of you are going back to flip phones, like flip phones are better, <laughs> all right? I, I can see why, because... Uh, these are very distracting. Our digital distraction, whether it's our phone or our watches or our, our computers. Uh, in fact, uh, the, the average, I think this is actually on the little high side. I think, I think actually we're distracted even more frequently than this. But the latest study said we're distracted by these every eight minutes. <laughs> Somebody like, eight minutes? Uh-oh. <laughs> How many of you are like, uh, I'm distracted even more than eight minutes a day, eight minutes at a time, right? Every eight minutes, you're distracted. Someone's calling you, someone's texting you. You're like, oh, I wonder what's going on on this app, right? So whether it's a text, a call, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, push notifications, 
average is eight minutes. Every eight minutes, you're gonna be distracted by this. And for every distraction, it's on an average a five-minute distraction, all right? So in an eight-hour uh, eight day, uh, you'll have up to 60 distractions, all right? Five minutes at a time. You're starting to do the math, right? And they say that after every distraction, it takes 15 minutes to recover uh, to have full focus. You realize we've run out of time. We realize that for many of us, we are very, very distracted people. And that's exactly what Satan wants. He wants us to be distracted. He wants us to go through the entire day and say, oh, wait, I haven't even talked to God. Have you ever done that where it's like dinner time and you're like, oh, my goodness, God, I haven't even talked to you today. I've worried about a lot of things. I've thought about a lot of things. I've strategized with a lot of things. But I haven't talked to you, God, right? It's because we're distracted. Satan loves distracted people. Well, as the work of God increased, uh, the enemy showed up. Their previous threats didn't work. So they thought, well, maybe we could stop the work by distracting Nehemiah with a meeting. Hey, Nehemiah, we need to meet. Hey, Nehemiah, let's, let's meet and talk about the issues that we have. Perhaps we can figure it out. <laughs> but Nehemiah had no trust with these individuals. Why would he stop the work with people that have been a thorn in his side for the last couple chapters that we've been reading about? Hey, Nehemiah, I know you built a wall. I know the gates. Can we meet? Come to this field. Come to this neutral coffee shop called the Field of Ono. We see in verse 2 whether God told Nehemiah through a prophetic word or he just knew that church committee meetings were a bad idea. <laughs> Nehemiah understood that these people were not for him. And they were at the very least going to distract him. But what, we told, what we're told here through God's word, they were going to physically harm him. You know, Nehemiah teaches us as Kenosha City Church, uh, whether it's our leadership, whether it's our volunteers, everybody for that matter, uh, we must not be distracted by lesser things. We cannot be distracted by lesser things or lesser matters. We, we have been entrusted with the greatest thing that we can be entrusted with, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. I can't tell you how easy it is to get distracted from the main thing. I want some, someone once sent me a letter years ago and they said, we need to get back on the main thing. I'm like, oh my goodness, are we not preaching the gospel? And so I'm like, can you explain to me what the main thing is? Like, the main thing is, is we need to sing these certain songs. I said, that is not the main thing, all right? That is not the main thing. The main thing is the gospel of Jesus Christ and everything else needs to follow from that. And yet the enemy wants us, whether it's good, bad, or ugly, he wants to distract us away from that. We can do a lot of good, by the way. We can, do, we can support many missions, and we do, both locally and internationally. Locally, we're in many schools. Uh, we, have, we have missionaries from, from this church that are in the schools here in this city, helping uh, kids, uh, uh, high school-age kids. Uh, we, we're helping mothers who are at risk, uh, that are abortion-minded, uh, not have abortions. And these are just a, a snapshot of what we're doing in the community. These are good things, and churches should be involved with those things. But I want to tell you is that the big thing, the main thing, the reason why we exist thing is for Jesus and that we've been entrusted with the gospel to reach lost people, people that don't know Jesus personally, people who are there, to, if they were to die today or Jesus Christ were to come back, they would spend eternity in hell. That is our mission. We are on a rescue mission to depopulate hell and populate heaven, amen? And if we miss that, we've missed everything. We're just another 501c3. We're just another do-good organization. I was at the Iowa State Fair last week. They were building these nice homes. And, and, and we're hoping to build a home in Kenya uh, in 2025. So if you're interested in that, we're going to need some handymen for that because we're going to build a home for one of our orphanage families. How cool is that, right? 
But the thing is this, they had this home and they said, and I'm like, oh, I've seen these homes before that they build in Africa, they're kind of like silos. And then all of a sudden I saw all the organizations that were building them. One was a church, the rest of them were secular organizations and governmental organizations. That's not a bad thing, but when we think that churches exist just to build homes, we've missed it. Because a bunch of other organizations can do that. What is the thing? What is the sine qua non? What is the bottom line that we cannot miss? And that is that we've been entrusted with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We miss that, we miss everything. Nehemiah knew these people not only wanted to take his focus off the mission, he wanted him to stop all that work. Follower of Christ, we must stay the course and not get distracted by lesser things, whether it be good things or whether it be bad things, like gossip. Or, or, or By the way, it's not just non-Christians who get distracted or try to distract you. I'm telling you, Christians are some of the most distracted people. They get distracted by good, godly Christian things, but they miss the main thing. Followers of Christ, we should be different. Our words should be different, our actions should be different, our addiction should be different, our web surfing should be different, how we talk about people in this world should be different. It doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect, but it means that we realize that we are striving to be more and more like Jesus Christ. The follower of Christ, are you focused this morning? Are you distracted? I want you to imagine with me, if we are a focused people, if we're focused on the mission of Jesus Christ, if we're focused on the power of God moving in and through us by the Holy Spirit, if we are focused on who we are as God's people, what will change in your life? What is that nagging thing that you just haven't given over to God? What is that one thing that God says, I want your focus in this area? Uh, what would happen not only in your life, but as you begin to influence in your sphere of influence? Maybe it's your job in your neighborhood. Oh, imagine with me the families in Kenosha that are on the verge of divorce. Uh, the, the, the families in Kenosha where their kids are lost and they're, they're on drugs. Or, or, or in Kenosha where there, there have been generational addictions. I want, let's just imagine for a moment, this room being filled with testimony after testimony after testimony testimony because of your focus on the gospel of Jesus Christ lives have changed oh it is not theory and it's not meant to stay theory it's actuality and God's saying are we going to do it oh yes we must do it we must but we must not get distracted godly focus avoids the opposition's agenda and that is for you to be distracted the opposition comes to distract with their agenda so stay the course. But the opposition, when it comes to distract you, they're not just going to try once. What we're going to see here in Scripture is they will try again and again. The opposition is persistent. I mean, we heard that phrase. Um, it may have been our parents even that said this, you know, like we're learning to tie our shoe or learn how to throw baskets at a basketball hoop, right? You know, it, it, it may be a Disney phrase. It's not in Scripture, but you've heard the phrase, first you don't succeed, Right? Try, try again. Is that from Bambi? I don't even know, all right? But we, we said it to each other, like, don't give up. Well, the opposition, uh, Sandoval must have watched Bambi, I guess. Because in Nehemiah 6.4, we see that he didn't give up. So I sent messengers, this is Nehemiah, to them saying, I'm doing important work. I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? Verse 4, but four times... They sent me the same proposal, and I gave them the same reply. Nehemiah sent the messengers, and he responded, Hey, you're meeting? Sorry, I got no time for that. I mean, Nehemiah is the one who coined the phrase, nobody's got time for that, right? Now, it might seem cold where you say, Hey, no, I'm not going to meet with you. It might seem unfriendly. And let me just say to the recovering people pleaser, of which I am one, it's hard to say no to somebody that's going to ultimately take you off focus. Am I right? You don't want to let them down. But I'm going to tell you 
who you ought not to let down is the Lord God Almighty, right? That's who we want to please, right? And so he told them no, but the opposition didn't give up. The opposition didn't just try once to distract them. They tried again and again and again and again. Reminds me of kids. You've had kids or you babysat kids or you just observe kids somewhere. I mean, if you people, you know, people watchers out there, right? Kids, it's kind of like the kids that, you know, they, they just had a full, you fed them a full balanced meal, right? They're all fed so they're not hangry and then you take them shopping. Oh, this could be a problem, right? You take them shopping and you're, and you're at the grocery store and, and you're walking down the aisle and then all of a sudden your kid goes with the most whiny voice, I'm hungry and you're just perplexed. How are you hungry? I just fed you. Well, what they're saying is when I'm hungry is I want a cookie, right? I want a cookie. And so you tell them, no, you're not hungry. And no, you're not going to have a cookie. And what's the kid do? They don't accept no for an answer, right? They keep on going. I'm hungry. I want a cookie. No, I'm hungry. No, I'm hungry. No. And finally, as parents, you do something that you can never follow through with. You give if you, if you ask one more time, you're never going to have a cookie again. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I once told Elias when he was little, if you don't clean up your sandbox, I'm going to throw it in Lake Michigan. And you know what? He didn't clean up his sandbox that afternoon. He told Allison, he goes, Mommy, we got to drive to Lake Michigan. We got to throw it in there. And it's like... <laughs> He was going to follow through. But listen, you know, parents, you know, when you just get so at the breaking point or you're babysitting and you're at the breaking point, or even if you're an observer and you're at the breaking point, you resort to threats you can't follow through with. And what's the kid do? They're like, oh, I'm going to stop now. Uh, I want to have cookies. No, no, no. They're like, time to go nuclear. So the kid drops to the ground, right? Screaming at the top of their lungs. They start rolling around. I want a cookie. I want a cookie. You're so mean. And, and eventually you're like, okay, as a parent, you're like, okay, I am totally embarrassed. Shh, shh, quiet, quiet, quiet. Shh, stop, stop. Fine. Take all the cookies off the shelf. Let's go home, right? Kids are a great example of somebody who can easily wear you down, Right? I'm telling you, I don't know why people don't use them in negotiation tactics and hostage situations, right? <laughs> Come down. Fine, I'm sick and tired of hearing you say that. I'm coming down, right? Kids are relentless. And yet, sometimes in our hearts, we have that immature spirit where we want to keep on doing what we know we ought not to do. And that's exactly what we see in the opposition. Like a five-year-old kid the opposition will play the long game and try to wear down by persistently asking and nagging and prodding to where, fine, I'll meet with you in the plains of Ono. I'm sick and tired of you saying this. I dread every day waking up because I know you're going to ask me again in a different way. Let's just do it. Let's get this over with. And you know that that decision is going to take your eyes off the mission. Just say no. To anything that pulls you away from mission. And keep saying no to anything that will pull you away from the focus on being on mission for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because when you give ear to somebody that you know that is after harm, you know that you're, you're making your ears and your heart susceptible to what will resort to lies and slander and ill-got agenda. And that's what we see here. 
is that not only were they persistent, in Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 5, the opposition resorted to lies and slander. Look at this in Nehemiah 6, 5. Sandoval sent me this same message a fifth time by his aide, a fifth time, okay? By this time, they're rolling on the ground screaming, okay? So Sandoval sent me this message a fifth time by his aide, and he had an open letter in his hand. Sandoval didn't get his way four times, so a fifth time, he's like, I'm going to change up tactics. We're not going to meet in the plains of Mono. I'm going to write out my grievances, and everybody's going to know. Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 6. In it was written, it's reported among the nations, and Geshem agrees, by the way, <laughs> that you and the Jews plan to rebel. This is the reason you are building the wall. According to these reports, you are to become their king and even set up the prophets in Jerusalem to proclaim on your behalf, there is a king in Judah. These rumors will be heard by the king and everyone. So come, let's confer together. Let's meet together, right? Let's figure this out. The slanderous accusation that was written in this letter was grave for Nehemiah. Sandoval accused Nehemiah of going into full rebellion mode and that by the completion of the gates, Nehemiah would set up a messianic kingdom opposed to the Persian Empire. Nehemiah is also further accused of setting up his false prophets so that they can prophesy that he indeed is a king. We see in verse 6, Geshem. And Geshem agrees, right? Geshem. What he is here is Geshem was the letter carrier. So Sandoval writes the letter and Geshem passes it out to as many people as possible. Uh, that's how gossip often works. You have the source of gossip and then people listen to it and then they spread it. They become the carriers. Sometimes the carriers are even more damaging than the original writer. So Nehemiah knew that Geshem, Geshem was a letter carrier and he spread the lies to countless people. This letter of slanderous intent spread confusion among the people of Israel. It, it spread disdain to those outside of Israel and it brought fear and shame into the heart of Nehemiah. In all of this, Sandoval tried positioning himself, the letter writer, as the good guy. Hey, I got this letter that, oh, yeah, that you know, Geshem agrees about, right? And all these people have heard, oh, like, we need to get together, all of us, and we need to figure this out. Somehow Sandoval was positioning himself as some kind of good-intentioned good guy. Talk about the height of manipulation. But this is what fire starters do, even today. Fire starters, they start a fire, they catch your house on fire, and then they blame the occupants for not putting it out fast enough. They torch it, and then they want you to hang out with them afterwards. It's absurd. Hey, Nehemiah, let's meet together. Let's resolve this letter. Let's hang out. How do you think Nehemiah responded? Oh, no. And a fifth time, he's rolling on the floor. Everybody's looking. Uh, I better buy him the cookies. What did Nehemiah say? Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 8. Then I replied to him, there is nothing to these rumors you are spreading. You are inventing them in your own mind. For they were all trying to intimidate us, saying they will drop their hands from the work and it will never be finished. But now, my God, strengthen my hands. I was counseling a man years ago and he was accused by a coworker of having an affair. 
Uh, this coworker, by the way, was not being truthful. We know this now. But their aim was to harm this person's reputation. This person wanted their position at work, and so they invented a story uh, that spread throughout the workplace like wildfire. And it was devastating to this man and his family. The, the, the wife stood by his side. She knew his character. The man knew the truth, but yet he still felt the shame of what people thought of him. And what was so sad and devastating, this rumor even began to fester in his own church. So what should have been the safest place? The rumor was proven just that, a false rumor, but the slander did the damage. This accused man stayed the course, though, and all these years later, his family stayed the course, and he constantly called out the lies, all the while remembering who his God is. And his position was, God, strengthen my hands. And today, he stands. Followers of Christ, I want you to know this. When people speak ill of you, when they slander you, when they gossip you, uh, let your life and the fruitfulness of your life stand and speak for itself. When everyone else is revising your life and your story and they want to know everything about it and they want you to answer it, let the fruit answer for itself. When someone is lying about you, you do not need to match the accuser's intensity. But yet you need to stand and resolve in God's truth, just like Nehemiah did. Nehemiah's response was like, oh, let me give you a play-by-play. No, his was, there is nothing to these rumors you are spreading. You are inventing them in your mind. Today we live in a culture where narratives are being written and rewritten to lead the listeners of these narratives to a foregone conclusion. Facts be darned. Uh, it's not about facts, it's about narrative and conclusion. Uh, this, is, this is what you see in politics, this is what you see in culture, and yes, it has even infected the minds of Christians. You know how lies and slander don't spread? When they don't have ears. And yet when ears show up to a slander and gossip party, a forest fire ensues. Have nothing to do with slander and falsehood. But when opposition hurls slander and insults at you, and it will happen to you, if you're a follower of Christ, it will happen to you, whether it be your workplace, family, people that don't understand you, neighbors, it could be anybody. I want you to understand this, the heart of Paul, Philippians chapter four, verse eight, I'll read it to you. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence, if there's anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things things we are to dwell on the truth of God we are to dwell on his moral excellence Nehemiah's prayer through all of this was dwelling on the excellency of his focus and that is the Lord God Almighty oh God strengthen my hands and despite all of this Nehemiah knew the work must go on theologian Tiberius Reda puts it this way the enemy tried to weaken the faithful by inserting into their hearts fear. But the man of God prayed with strength. The cry of the faithful understands that victory is won only when God provides the strength. You puffing up your own chest, even when people are slandering you, it, that is nothing. You want to make sure that your focus is on the Lord and that your strength is by the Holy Spirit and that you can stand, that you can stand on his truth. Godly focus avoids the opposition's agenda. The opposition comes to distract you with their agenda. They'll do it over and over and over again through persistence, and they will resort to lies and slander. But when that doesn't work, they up the ante even more. The opposition will then resort to false teaching and false prophecy. 
Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 10. I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Delia, son of, uh, my, uh, oh boy, here we are, Metibol, who is restricted to his house. And he said, let's meet at the house of God inside the temple. Let's shut the temple doors because they're coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you tonight. But I said to them, should a man like me run away? How can someone like me enter the temple and live? I will not go. Shemaiah was a prophet. And Nehemiah must have trusted him enough to go visit him and spend time uh, in his home. I'd imagine people probably heard, uh, uh, heard Shemaiah's prophecies in the past. So Maya reaches out to Nehemiah and he prophesied that Nehemiah was in danger and that he was going to be killed. This prophecy, by the way, if, if someone came up to you and says, in the name of the Lord, if you go there, you're gonna die, you're gonna get killed. I'm gonna think twice, right? Even if the person seems a little like cross-eyed, like they might be a little out of their mind, I'm still gonna think about it, right? Like that's a little startling. And so all what Nehemiah had heard all what he had done for the Lord, all the truth that he stood, I'm sure his heart rate went up just a little bit, right? Especially from a prophet that he undoubtedly trusted. But yet a red flag went up. The red flag was this. It was Shemaiah asking Nehemiah, come, hide in the temple. Nehemiah knew that he was not a priest. And if he wasn't a priest, that meant he could not go into the temple. It would violate God's law for the temple. And so Nehemiah knew right away I can't do that. Number one, God's given me a call. I'm not running away from it. But what you're asking me to do is to violate God's law. And so what we see here from Nehemiah is that he feared God more than he feared even a prophet of God. He feared God way more than he feared people. So Nehemiah had been a victim of a bootleg prophecy. We see here uh, in Nehemiah 6 verse 12, I realized that God had not sent him because of the prophecy he spoke against me. Tobiah and Sandabout had hired him. He was hired so that I would be intimidated. Do his, uh, he suggested sin and get a bad reputation in order that they could discredit me. My God, remember Tobiah and Sandabout for what they have done, and also the prophetess Neodiah and other prophets who wanted to intimidate me. So Nehemiah, victim of a bootleg prophecy, Tobiah and Sandabout hired Shemaiah to speak things over Nehemiah in the name of the Lord, even though it wasn't from the Lord. And we notice uh, that it was, he was getting piled up on by all these other supposed prophets. Uh, we, we see one named uh, Nodiah and then other prophets who wanted to intimidate him. Imagine people who had the reputation of hearing from God coming to him and saying the same thing. Nehemiah had to think at some point, I'm out of my mind. He was being gaslit. He's being gaslit in the name of the Lord. I want you to know this. We, we believe that God can speak today. We believe that God never speaks against his word. Uh, we, we believe that uh, when God speaks, it's for the building up of his church. Uh, we, we, we know that it won't add to God's word. And so that's why when people say, oh, God, lay this on my heart, or God is speaking, we need to test it. And the Old Testament law gave Israel people, the Israelites, the ability to assess the authenticity of a prophet and the authority to disobey any false prophets. We see this, I'll read it to you, Deuteronomy 18, 22. When a prophet speaks in the Lord's name and the message does not come true or is not fulfilled, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. Do not be afraid of him. So Nehemiah would have understood this. He would have remembered this passage in Deuteronomy. 
And even though there may have been three, four, ten, fifteen prophets trying to intimidate him, he understood this isn't from God and I will not be afraid of them. In the New Testament, when someone thinks God has placed something on their heart or God's speaking to them, we must test it. No one has a God trump card. It is true God can speak and use people today to build up the church, but never in a way again that adds a scripture or defies scripture. It's always orderly. It always builds up the church. It's edifying. It's always humble and it's not insisting. Unfortunately, what dominates a lot of people who say they have prophetic words today are people that are prideful, people that are insisting, uh, people that say things that are completely uh, diametrically opposed to the word of God. And what we know from the word of God is we are to have nothing to do with it, not fear it. I've had a share of false prophets try to come into this church. I don't really know them, but uh, they would tell me things. I'd one per- some of them are, are laughable. Some of them are, are really tragic. One, one came in and said, with big eyes, they, they came up to me and goes, you, sir, are not going to be a pastor. You're going to be a surfer. I thought, <laughs> I just kind of smiled. Thanks. I appreciate that. Thanks for trying that. All right, so I'm like, no, I'm not going to be a surfer. Our, our worship guy, uh, Phil, he's a surfer. You, you go, go to him. And so, but uh, this was a long time ago before Phil was uh, even here. But uh, again, I just remember that one. I'm like, man, what in the world? I had one person from the Lord. They went to Allison, and they said, when she truly meets the Lord, she won't be quiet. And so again, these things are like, if you took it in your heart, you'd be like, what in the world? I've had people try to tell me that I was going to move to Tembuktu. I've had people try to tell me all sorts of different things. And it's usually in a spirit of pride. It's a spirit of, if you disobey this, you're disobeying God. We're not to have anything to do with that. Uh, When God lays things in our heart, he builds the church together. He does it in humility. He does it in kindness. False prophetic words are divisive, and people often resort to them to get a one-up on someone else or fast-track their own personal agenda by trying to make others think it is God's agenda. And Nehemiah, even when he was told uh, by false prophets in the name of God to stop his work, Nehemiah stayed focused on the one he was to please, and that is the Lord God Almighty. Amen, church? When you focus on the one, you have courage to stay the course and not run away. The enemy will try one more thing, though. If, you, uh, if, if, if false prophecy is not going to uh, get you, if things people saying in the name of the Lord, you're going to need to stop. No, God said something different. Sorry, right? If they still aren't going to get you, here's what's happening with the opposition in Nehemiah. The opposition, this one might be the most dangerous. The opposition will seek, will attempt to build bridges with God's faithful. The opposition seeks to build bridges with God's faithful. They're like, okay, if I can't influence you, I'll influence the people around you. This may be the most dangerous. Nehemiah chapter six, verse 15. The wall was complete in 52 days, and on the 25th day of the month of Eel, when all the enemies heard this, all the surrounding nations were intimidated and lost their confidence, for they realized that this task had been accomplished by our God. Nehemiah and God's people stayed focused and in 52 quick days, that is quick in the ancient world, they completed the wall. They completed the wall in 52 days. Now you would think that if they completed the wall in 52 days, the opposition would be like, maybe we should stop. Maybe God's doing a work here. But let me tell you something. Rebellion always doubles down on further rebellion, often I should say. Sometimes you, you can stop. <laughs> it's not a foregone conclusion. So would, you would think that this would be the end of Nehemiah's opposition. That's a hard no. <laughs> That's a hard no. The enemy doubled down, verse 17. During these days, 
the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him, since he was a son-in-law, oh my goodness, he was a son-in-law, the Shechaniah, son of Arach, and, son, uh, and his son uh, Jehoanan had married the daughter of Mishalom, son of Barakah. These nobles kept mentioning Tobiah's good deeds to me, and they reported my words to him, and Tobiah sent letters to intimidate me. Just when he thought it couldn't get any crazier, it did. Surprise! Tobias related to you guys. What? This is a very sad reality. The nobles of Judah intermarried. In fact, the book of Ezra prior warned them, don't do this with people outside of Israel. And so the nobles of Judah, who should have been in lockstep with the mission of God, had divided hearts. Tobiah was a relative to some of the Jewish nobles, and the enemy was related to some of those who were within Israel's camp. And if the nobles were focused, by the way, just because you're related to somebody, we always have some, uh, you know, crazy uncle, right? <laughs> you know, and he has maybe, you have that crazy uncle that sits at the table and says all kind of crazy things at Thanksgiving. It doesn't mean just because he's your uncle, you have to agree with him and be like, oh, okay, he's my uncle, got to agree with him. No, you don't have to do that. So the nobles here could say, okay, Tobiah, we know you have this distant kind of in-law relationship here. Uh, you're wrong, and you're opposing God. They could have easily have said that. But instead, family trumped God. Family trumped God. Their friendship trumped God. And they weren't wholehearted. Instead, they couldn't get over their relationship, their community they had with Tobiah. Verse 19, they kept mentioning Tobiah's good deeds. It wasn't just that they were laid in, like, I'll leave him alone. Like, hey, Nehemiah, look. I know Tobiah. He's, he's, I, know, I know you think he was trying to kill you. And I, I know that, you know, he didn't really like the wall. And, you know, I know he's been saying all this. I know you wrote a letter. Like, like it's, it's, it's Tobiah. Like, he's a good guy. Like, he wouldn't really do that. Like, he wouldn't. Come on. Like, he, all, I, he, he's done so many good deeds. And so they chose to trust Tobiah over Nehemiah. Even though Tobiah's works were not fruitful, they were evil. So verse 19, we see that the nobles of Judah not only sided with Tobiah and believed Tobiah, they did the work of Tobiah. You see what I did here? When you dance with the enemy, you start to do the slow waltz with them, right? And they began to gossip about Nehemiah, and the gossip fueled further letters to intimidate Nehemiah. Oh, how tragic is that? Theologian Tiberius Rita puts it this way for us. I didn't even try to write this. I couldn't even, I couldn't say it better, so I'm gonna quote him. He says, verse 18 points to the sad reality that in, in present in today's churches as well, instead of living for their lives to biblical principles, some live their lives being led by family ties instead of God's mission. In Nehemiah's day, family ties led some to fight against the faithful. How many churches have been damaged and even destroyed because the people fear their family members instead of fearing God and trusting his word? That's heavy. We will be a church. In Ocean City Church, that is God first. That's all about Jesus, period. Period. Big one. Period. 
immovable, unshakable. We must keep our focus on him because godly focus avoids the opposition's agenda. We're gonna end here, point two, and it's a quick one. We've, sp- we've, we've focused a lot on the opposition. Now let's focus on what God wants to do through you. Focus allows God's work to be fulfilled through you. We're gonna tee up next week's conversation. Focus allows God's work to be fulfilled through you. Nehemiah chapter seven, verse one. When the wall had been rebuilt and I had the doors installed, the gatekeepers and the singers and the Levites were appointed. Then I put my brother Hanani in charge of Jerusalem along with Hananiah, commander of the fortresses, because he was a faithful man who feared God more than most. The wall was complete. The doors were being installed, but the opposition was still very real. It was an all-hands-on-deck ministry. We can learn from this. We are a all-hands-on-deck ministry. As we go into areas, as we see people give their life to Jesus, the enemy's gonna hate it. And I want you to know, I had someone say to me just this week, you know, if I just live my life like casually, will the enemy leave me alone? I'm like, no, he's won if you do that. If you live your life sold out for Jesus, living your life fully devoted, yes, you will face opposition. But I want you to know, greater is the Holy Spirit to make you stand. Because I want you to know, those who oppose the things of God, the atheists who say that God is dead and God is not real. Listen, it's the atheists who are in the grave because the grave of Jesus Christ is empty because he's alive. What I want you to know is this. Don't buy into that lie. If I take easy street, he'll leave me alone. Yeah, he'll leave you alone because he's one. Listen, Jesus Christ is one and he will empower you. He will protect you to do what he's calling you to do. Yes, it may come at a cost, but I want you to know greater is the cost if we're inactive, if if we're inactive in what God wants us to do. Oh, does he want to see you used by him? Oh, does he want to see him work in and through you? And imagine with me again, Kenosha, Racine, Lake County, your spheres of influence, wherever you work, changed by the power of Jesus Christ. Oh, it's not a theory. It will happen when God moves in and through you. And I love what I see here. It's all hands on deck. Who is guarding the gates? Buildings and grounds? I'm sure some of them, right? Who is guarding the gates? The really strong people? You know, the, the warriors? Maybe. No, it's the priests and the worshipers. What? Like, can you imagine if this building was in trouble? I'm like, all right, uh, Hannah uh, and, 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 and Phil, if you're back there behind the curtain, all, all you guys just go out there and, and get ready to beat some people up, right? <laughs> like, you got the wrong people. But what he's demonstrating is this. Ministry is all hands on deck and saying, here I am, Lord, wherever there's need, I'm stepping into it. Why? Because every little bit that we do, can you imagine one of the Levites? I gotta stand by this gate. It's like, no, you're standing by the gate so that Jerusalem's protected. A Messiah is coming. The whole world is gonna hear about the salvation of Jesus Christ. Stand at that gate. I think a couple of reasons we see that it's all hands on deck, but I also think there's a spiritual reason why we see here the singers are there. You wouldn't need to go before all our worries and all our shame and and all the wrongs and circumstances that are taking over our mind this morning. It's not our fists that are going to win the battle. It's our praise. Praise is our weapon. It's our weapon. Praise isn't just the preliminary time and our close-off time for the service. It gets our hearts right when we get hit by the word of God. But it's not just the, the first course, the appetizer. 
It's declaring, God, you're king. And you go before all my troubles, all my pain, all my shame, all my confusion, and you go before us in what you're calling us to do. And that is to be fully devoted followers of Christ who personally connect people to the power of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And focus allows God for God's work to be fulfilled in you. Focus determines your direction. Here's some take home, and then we're gonna, we're gonna pray and we're gonna worship. Take home is this. Where are you facing opposition? Where is it? Just name it. And how are you giving that to God? Maybe it's, there's been health scares. You know, we've had, I think we had four hospital calls in the last couple of weeks. We usually have a big goose egg. You know, you're a really healthy congregation, right? But, but it all happened at once, right? We get on our knees and say, God, we believe that you can heal people. You know, the thing I love about John, when he gave me a call one night, I was like, John, you're making me unsteady right now because I don't like what you're telling me. So we're gonna get on our knees and we're gonna pray that the doctor tomorrow looks at these scans and says, I don't know what they saw yesterday, but you can go home. And guess what? They looked at those scans and they said, I don't know what they saw yesterday, but you can go home. We serve a good God, don't we? I don't know what it is that you are facing this morning, but how are you giving to God? Number two, where is your focus off the Lord right now? Where has it gone off focus? Number three, where is your attitude not in line with the Lord? I know some of these are corrective. That's good. We want to allow God to gracefully correct us where we need it. And number four, where can you serve in the mission on Sunday morning? If you're already serving on Sunday morning, great. But where can you serve? There's a place for you. And then how are you living out your Monday through Friday in your sphere of influence? We are committed to equip you to know why you believe what you believe and to know how to share what you believe and to really just encourage you to invite people into what you do with God together. I can't wait to see the people sitting next to you in the seats in the months and years to come because you just allow God to move in and through you. Don't discount that conversation. I'm like, whoa, it happened. It happened. Lord Jesus, we love you. And we thank you that you are our focus. And because of that, we know that our direction is secure. So God, help us be back on focus where we've been off focus. God, help us not to fear opposition in our life, but that we would fear more of not being obedient to you. God, thank you that you're so loving and merciful and graceful. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that empowers us to do what we're incapable of doing. Thank you that you're a miracle-working God that when everything else seems so bleak, you show up and you change the scenario. Thank you, God. Lord, I pray for anybody here now that doesn't know you as Savior. In fact, as we continue to pray, if there's anybody here that uh, you don't know Jesus as Savior, maybe uh, you're uncertain or maybe you know you've, you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, this is your moment. If you want a relationship with Jesus Christ, you want to be forgiven of your sins, you want to know for certain you're going to heaven, then listen up. You need to acknowledge to God right now that you've sinned. You've done wrong in your life. You need to acknowledge to God right now that there's nothing that you can do to make right with God. And you need to receive right now the forgiveness that God is handing to you right now. How is he handing this to you? He did it by dying on the cross. He died on the cross and he stood in your place. And he paid for your sins, past, present, and future. He rose from the dead, defeating death because he was a sinless, perfect sacrifice. And we receive this forgiveness by placing our full faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. If you've never placed your full faith and trust in Jesus Christ, right now just tell Jesus, Jesus, I'm in. 
I want to place my faith and trust in you alone. I, I, I trust that you died on the cross to save me from my sins. I believe that it paid it in full. I believe that you rose from the dead. Now help me follow you. Help me live a life of good works. I understand good works don't save me, but now help me live a life of good works. If today you want to place your faith and trust in Jesus, come as you are right now. You want to place your faith and trust in Jesus with every heads bowed and eyes closed, just simply slip up your hand indicating, yep, it's me. Today I'm, I'm in. I want to place my faith and trust in Christ alone. Yes, thank you. Anybody else? Just slip up your hand just like this. Just indicate. Raising your hand doesn't save you. I'm just, I'd like to see you. I'd like to pray for you this week. So Father, I just pray for those that are making the decision to follow you today, to place their faith and trust in you alone, knowing that they are made new in you now, that they are forgiven. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. Lord, I pray for this church. I pray that our focus would be on you, that our focus would be on being used by you in the mission that you've given us to reach lost people, to grow in the knowledge and joy of Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, surprise us now. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. If you would like to know more about Kenosha City Church, then check us out online at kenosha.church or on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Kenosha City Church. Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, we encourage you to follow us so that you never have to miss an episode. At Kenosha City Church, we are not perfect people, but real people being made new through Jesus.